0: Hey everybody, I think we're live. Uh, we're going live to Facebook and then shortly thereafter in stunning overly high resolution to YouTube. All right guys, it's Dr. Z. Welcome to the Z Dog MD show. I think I think we're live. I'm doing this all myself because of social distancing. And I, today I want to talk about the fact that I'm going insane like many people. And I look, I'm a misanthrope. I don't like other people. I'm perfectly happy in lockdown situations until I'm forced to go into a Zoom meeting. So how many of us are having to do this now? My kid, my youngest daughter has been suddenly having to do this for her third grade class and it causes her tremendous A, boredom, B, anxiety, C, fatigue. She talks about it for hours before it's gonna happen. Oh, do we really have to do this? And you know, initially I was like, well come on dude, you, you said you missed school, you miss your classmates, you miss your teacher, so what's the problem? And then I remembered what Zoom was like. So here's the deal with this, because it has ramifications for, first of all, how long we're gonna tolerate you know, severe lockdown and social distancing, because that's a real factor. If, if, if you want this thing to succeed at all, people have to, have to actually be able to do it. And we're getting to a point where I think we're getting something that National Geographic called Zoom fatigue, and I linked to the article here. This is the deal. When people wanna, and, and I'll start with stories about how I've experienced this. Everybody wants, for some reason, something from me at some point when they're reaching out to me. So they want a phone call, they want an email, they want a meeting, whatever it is. The ones who want video conferences are the ones I delete right away. Now, I never quite could put my finger on what it is, but it felt like an invasion into my personal space. Now, this is somebody who makes videos for a living. Like, I'm talking to 3,500 live people right now on Facebook, Um, like Anna's here and Mary's here and Jan Grewal's here, says hello from Clovis. No problem at all. That's great because I'm talking to a single camera and I'm being me. But what happens with video conferencing? That's so unnatural for human beings. First of all, human beings are social creatures. If you're if you're generally sort of neurotypical. You're able to read silent cues from people as part of your background conscious processing. It's, you're not aware of it, it's unconscious, right? But it's in the in the setting, of if you're talking to somebody, you're reading their, their body language, you're watching when they take a breath, like they're gonna start talking or interrupt. You're looking at whether they're fidgeting or looking away. In your peripheral vision, you're noticing what other people that are there are doing. You're not constantly focused on every single, consciously focusing on every single thing. You're kind of looking down, you're gesturing, you're thinking, you're pausing, you're saying, "Um, that's normal human interaction. And in fact, it's what we evolved to do over you know hundreds of thousands of years, if not millions of years. We read these cues unconsciously and we respond in a way that is appropriate, that has some theory of mind. In other words, we're able to kind of understand what our listener is feeling and therefore respond appropriately. Most people are capable of doing this unconsciously in their sleep without a lot of ATP being spent. In other words, it doesn't take a lot of energy to do that normally unless you're a really introverted person but even then, even then it's just part of our thing. Now if you're say on an autistic spectrum or something like that, it's a, very, it's a much bigger challenge and we'll get to that. So. When you have a phone call, what's that like? Well, you know that all these cues are gone. So you get to kind of just relax and listen to one cue, which is voice. You're listening to inflections and and the sort of tonal quality of someone's speech that gives you some clues, but it's a narrow band. So you don't have to spend a lot of attention and a lot of ATP really focused on that. So phone calls work pretty well for a lot of things. And actually there was data, I think in the early days of telehealth from one of the big telehealth companies that said that if you survey patients, most patients actually didn't want video chats with their doctor. They wanted telephone calls or texts or emails or those kind of things. And you would wonder why, because you would think the video would be so much more higher bandwidth, more information, able to show them stuff. And it gets to this. Video chatting, let's use Zoom as an example, but there's FaceTime, Skype, whatever you, WhatsApp, whatever you're using, right? Remember in the early days people would, like in the Flintstones days or the Jetson days, like video calling was like, oh my gosh, that's the future, it's gonna be amazing. Then it got here and hardly anyone uses it the way you would think. It's still people are, in fact, we've downgraded from even voice to this low bandwidth text, why? And the theory is that if you don't have the full spectrum in high quality resolution bandwidth of human interaction, it becomes an ordeal to do what humans actually do naturally, which is communicate one-on-one. And this is why. In, in a Zoom, even, even when you're looking at me now, you're seeing some aspect of my body language, but you're having to pay very careful attention. It's not that kind of casual, I'm listening to someone and they're here, and you know, it's just really background information. You're being able to see the body, and see the body language, and the real subtle nuance of it. The way that video is compressed, and the fact that it's 2D, and the fact that, you uh, um, it's a, it's a whole contrivance. You lose a lot of that. You have to pay very careful attention and that becomes exhausting. And that's what like this National Geographic article is calling Zoom fatigue. You come off a call, maybe it's an hour long, right? And you're just spent. Why? Think of what it's like on those calls. The whole time, you're like this. In order to communicate nuanced emotion you have to exaggerate what you do because otherwise you're not gonna pick it up in this sort of technological divide. So you're, you're, you're like this and you're like, uh-huh, you're nodding a lot and you're like over exaggerated and you're trying to look like you're paying attention because you think that person's staring at you the whole time instead of what we normally do which is a casual interaction and it, It becomes so tense for a lot of people, and I'm one of these people, which is why, again, getting back to the beginning, when people ask me, oh hey, you know, uh, we'll just hop on a Zoom call, I'm like, you know what, we can do that, but I make up some excuse, like, you know, I don't have my laptop, or I'm driving, so I'm just gonna go ahead and put my AirPods in, and I'll do voice, so I apologize, And, and they're like, oh, you know, I thought you were like this big video guy, and I'm like, yeah, I also like to interact on a human level that's effective, and these video calls, you know, they, they really are taxing, especially if you, have to, if you have to do a bunch of them. Now here we are in the pandemic lockdown environment where these are becoming the norm. Now it's great because we're able to connect in a way that we otherwise would not be able to connect. So that's wonderful. But the downside is it's breaking our minds, you guys. Like it is, now first of all, one piece, good piece of news, most of the meetings that it turns out we were doing were bullshit and we knew this for years but nobody wanted to say anything because they didn't want to get fired f- because they would figure, oh, someone's gonna look at me and realize I actually don't do anything at this company. Well, so the meetings are your way to hear the sound of your own voice and feel like, oh, I'm actually contributing something because I know I've been guilty of that and I'm, like, I'm gonna say something smart so that they know that I'm doing stuff even though I know I'm not doing anything. I worked for a couple tech companies in between residency and my job as a hospitalist at Stanford. So I've been in that world, man, and it is all about showing people that you're doing stuff and not actually doing stuff. So we know that most of these meetings are useless, but okay, Zoom itself, okay, great. It's wonderful that we can have this, you know, face to face. I do some interviews by Zoom. I always swore I never would, right, when I do them for the show because I hate it for all the reasons I just said. If the person's not here with me, I don't connect in a way that I feel is human and natural and instinctive to me. It is a contrivance. But now it's so necessary that we've had to do it. So the question is if if this is so painful and it's going to be so hard, There's another facet of this, which is since we've been on lockdown, right, the day doesn't end. Have you guys noticed that? Unless you're going into the hospital or something, you're physically going, your day never ends. It doesn't matter if today's Saturday, it doesn't matter if, and I've been living that life for like 10 years doing social media, but, most people don't, and it is, it is demoralizing because there's no home work separation. It's all integrated. Your kids are up on you while you're trying to do something. People have no problem you know, Zoom meeting you at, at 8 p.m. because everyone thinks, well, we're all at home anyways, and, and Sundays and Saturdays. There's no distinction anymore. And then you throw in the fatigue, the just devastation of doing these video meetings, right? And it's a mess. now. For people on the autism, some people on the autism spectrum, Zoom has been a godsend because it actually facilitates limiting that stimulation to a narrower band. People get cues of when they're supposed to speak. There's not all the the, the extraneous chit-chat and other distraction, and that's a piece of it. Um, Now, there are some people on the autistic spectrum that actually do worse because the, the, the stimulation is a different type of stimulation that isn't good. So there's no one size fits all. Now the other problem with Zoom that we have to remember is these multiple Brady Bunch gallery mode, humans are not designed to to distract attention from from box to box to box. It becomes very difficult to focus on a conversation and it ends up just becoming these individual siloed conversations with all these Brady Bunch people just kind of standing there awkwardly trying to look at the camera. and And it, so, There are solutions for this, right? And I think one solution is you have to improve the bandwidth of the actual experience. And what I mean by that is include as much of that human signaling, as much of the body language, as much of the the subtlety as you can. So what does that mean? It means very high resolution video, with a very high frame rate. And what that means, a frame rate, right now what you're seeing is 30 frames per second. Your computer will say it's 60 because mine is up sampling it, but the raw frames coming out of the computer are 30 per second. Real life is much higher than that. If I bumped it up to a true 60 or 120 right now, people have commented, I've done that before. They're actually put off because it looks so real. It's like they're in the room with me and they're not expecting that. They're expecting a more entertainment-like thing where it's a, it looks like TV. So increasing bandwidth can increase then communication, decreasing latency, that sort of lag between the signals can increase this. And I've seen this with certain telehealth things. This is important for telehealth, because again, if patients don't wanna communicate with you because it's clunky and they feel stressed and the doctor feels stressed after the day, that's gonna be a deal breaker. So. It you know I've seen I've seen applications where it's actually super smooth, especially in-house hospital applications where it's like a tele-nursing thing, and it feels real time. You don't feel that really awkward lag, and some people are much more sensitive to it. Um, so you can improve the technology. Right, I think that's gonna be a key component. The other thing you could do is make it more virtual. So, actual VR goggles in a 3D space, sitting with an avatar of another person that has full function of body language and all of that, that could actually be a game changer too, but we're still not quite there. Yet, Let's read some comments. Um, this helps me understand, says Crystal Batterby, why my, I don't like these Zoom meetings. I would much rather talk on the phone. Now, people feel terrible about this. There's a sense of shame like, well, everyone's doing Zoom, why can't I fit in and do it too? And the truth is, no, you're a better human being than they are. There's something that is more, and I, and I, and I hate to say this, you're more neurotypical, meaning a human being that it, is, it evolved to kind of interact face to face. Now, there are people who, again, have, and this may just be the evolution of our species, are just better over video, right? And you, you, we all know those people, we may be those people, right? And so my feeling, and, and here's another thing, I, I gotta say this, um, the distinction, I often get asked to do Zoom talks. So, you know, uh, normally I go travel to a location, I talk to anywhere from you know 200 to 10,000 people in a big stadium. And it never stresses me out because I've gotten good at it and I can read people's faces. I can feel what they're feeling. I can put myself in their seat and I can, I can do this thing by connecting with them. You put me in Zoom and make me do the same thing. You can even pay me the same amount. I will usually refuse to do it unless there's something unique there because it, it, it sucks the joy out of the experience and the connection out of the experience for me. And I think I'm not alone on this. Um, let's see, the appointment will be via Zoom, at least the appointment will get a bulk bill, oh, it's okay, somebody's talking about something, hold on, hold on. Uh, Stephanie Purdy, this is why I avoid eye contact with people when I'm Zooming with them when I talk, I always look off to the side. And so, that's a good example because when you're Zooming, it's so fatiguing because you have to be on the entire time in your mind. If we just treated it like, hey, anyways guys, we're just live and stuff. and. Supporter tribe knows this so supporter tribe the guys who subscribe on YouTube and Facebook get a lot of live shows with me and It's not like what I'm doing right now where I'm like, okay guys This is what I need to tell you this it's like this ah, so anyways, what's going on here? Uh, Charlene video component talks coming soon. Yeah, I don't know Charlene Fucking video. I don't don't know. It's more like a Conversation right so I think we can get there. I think we can train ourselves to to outwit Zoom fatigue, I think we can improve the technology so that Zoom fatigue becomes less of an issue. But really, if we're not aware of the problem, we're never gonna fix the problem. And one of the, <laughs> one of the easiest things to do is just eliminate every unnecessary meeting you can. And going back to my daughter, she sits in the class, it's a gallery mode, she's overwhelmed, she hates it, she's bored, it's disorganized, she doesn't feel connection, why bother, right? Go back to me interviewing a guest for the show. We do our best, but it's never gonna be as good as that person sitting right here in this studio, right? Go back to the pandemic. We are pretty much gonna reach a point, I'm not saying we're there yet, but we're gonna reach a point where people are like, I would rather get this thing and get sick and potentially die than continue to live boxed up in a cage, not able to talk to people. We are social pack animals, most of us, and so, until you factor that into the calculus of what we're doing, right? Because your people are weighing, should we develop some herd immunity? or Should we continue lockdown to keep the hospitals you know, from being overwhelmed, et cetera? Now, one thing I'll say is this. I live in the Bay Area. We had a very aggressive lockdown. I mean, from the beginning, Newsom was like, okay, shut it all down. San Mateo County, where I am, shut down very quickly. And we've seen our cases really, I mean, it works. It bends the curve. It absolutely works. But But now we're, what, a month into it and it gets even more aggressive. So the curve is clearly bent. Our hospitals are flipping empty um, for the most part. In fact, hospitals are going out of business, right? I have guys at AHA, the American Hospital Association messaging me going, dude, we are dying to the end. And there's a part of me that's like, good, it's time, the next iteration will be, we'll actually be paid to keep people healthy. How about that? But of course, you know, that this is livelihoods and this is the economy. But, but here's the thing, hospitals are mostly empty. We bent the curve. So what do they do? They ratchet up the stuff on a population that's already kind of edgy. So it got to the point where they're asking people to wear masks on my outdoor trail system near my home. So this is an open trail system. They want you to wear masks while you're exercising, hiking uphill on a trail. They want you to wear a mask, which by the way, we've talked about this. This is great. In close, tight, dense urban spaces, New York, et cetera, subways, grocery stores, great. Maybe, depending on the mask, depending on how you wear it. On a trail, while you're sweating, and the mask is wet, and people are far away, and you're out in nature, no effing way. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And if you want a surefire way to get the population to say, forget this, we're done, we're just not gonna do it, that's a way to do it, right? I think we're getting to that point if we're not careful. We need thoughtful policies that way, okay, how much do you bend the curve? And and here's why we say that, people still don't get this. Bending the curve does not mean eliminating the number of, lowering the number of infections totally if you don't get a vaccine or a cure or an effective treatment, which by the way, takes months to years, this same number of people ultimately get infected. It just happens slower. So you want to bend the curve just to the point where you're keeping the hospitals humming and not overwhelmed. The hospitals have the necessary PPE to keep their own staff safe, but you're developing some degree, hopefully, although we don't know yet, of immunity, and WHO says one thing, and CDC says nothing, developing some kind of immunity in younger, more resilient individuals in the community that are less at risk. They're not at no risk. We know this already from what Scott Weinbart said on my show, uh, seeing young people in New York, et cetera. But we know they're at less risk than an older person with comorbidities. So start to develop some community immunity to protect those people because otherwise, we're just delaying the inevitable, which is everybody gets it including the most vulnerable, and there's no immunity built up. So there's a balance that we have to strike. I've done show after show after show on this. There is a holier than thou asshole attitude among people who want this lockdown to be as severe as it can possibly be because they're under the delusional idea that somehow that's gonna save more lives. Now if that were true, then you could say, okay, cool, but it's not. Okay, there's not evidence that that's true. In fact, we're operating on crappy evidence across the board. We're doing the best we can, right? But there's a balance, okay? So I think one thing is, yes, social distancing, especially in hotspots. Yes, hand washing. Yes, masks in very tight spaces and areas where you cannot social distance, right? But, But this kind of, exuberant and shaming of people and all this other stuff that's going on. And it's very political too, which is ridiculous. When did this be, how, we know why it's political, right? Because you have Trump out there going, you should inject bleach. I mean, we get that, right? But it, the science itself is not a political thing. Just look at it rationally, hear all the sides, and understand that most rational people stand in the center of a Venn diagram that has the following circles. I'm very worried about COVID because it's a deadly disease and it, it affects people, not just old people, but young people too in an unpredictable way. And it is much, much, much more fatal than flu, no matter what number you believe. It is more fatal deadly than flu, and on top of flu, it can really harm particularly healthcare providers in our medical system, okay? Then there's another Venn diagram that says, I'm really concerned about people on the margins, people with small businesses and others whose livelihood and future depend on what they've worked so hard for, and we're taking that away by locking down the economy, so our priority should be how to safely figure that out and balance it, right? And then, and then there's a diagram that says, hey, I believe in some personal liberty, too, to be able to see friends and do these things, but I balance that with I have a responsibility bubble to others to make sure they're okay and safe. Now, where all those bubbles interact is where you should be standing, at the intersection of all those things, because all those things matter. So that's the fundamental lesson of this, Zoom fatigue, stand at the center of the Venn diagram. I put the article in the description and I'll try to put it in the comments. Um, Let's see, uh, I'll read a couple comments here. Um, David DiMaggio says, I love you. Hey, David, it's about time someone loved me. Yvonne Timms, you wear gloves and touch something with the virus and then your face, you're cross-contaminating and spreading virus. See my video on gloves wearing gloves to the supermarket which is dumb um, guys by the way thanks for everyone who did donated stars during this episode. We have a stars challenge that's an alpha test with Facebook, which means if we reach 100,000 stars, it's the nurse kitty challenge. The nurse kitty emoji will make a special video just for the stars donors and it will be insane. So thank you for everyone who's donated stars. Thank you for everyone who shares the show, who's a supporter of the show, who comments, and who is trying to do the right thing in the face of Really poor data and disorganized leadership across the board. Guys, I love you, you know I love you. I'm tired of people saying stay safe. I'm gonna say stay woke, because I don't really know what that means, all right? We out, peace.